You are listening to the free Oromia podcast, dedicated to amplifying the movement for decolonization, democracy, and independence in Oromia and beyond. Thank you for tuning in to the free Oromia podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Team Free Oromia and like our Facebook page, Free Oromia. Please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello listeners, Jal Ango here. Welcome to our series on the legendary artist Ali Birra, in which we'll be speaking with Oromo people from across the world about Ali Birra's legacy and the impact he has had on the renaissance of Oromo music and culture, as well as the cultivation of Oromo nationhood and national pride. In this first episode of our series, we had the immense privilege of speaking with a lifelong friend of Ali Birra, who graced us with a detailed, contextual, and intimate story of his life. So sit back and enjoy this rich account of Ali Birra's journey, intertwined with some of his most iconic songs. Thank you for joining us, listeners. My name is Jal Lindlo, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Jal Uncle. Hello, Jal Lindlo. It's good to be back. So we are deeply honored today uh, to be joined by a very special guest, Professor Muhammad Hassan Ali. He is a renowned scholar, expert, and published author on African history with a specialization on Oromo history. He has written numerous significant publications on Oromo history, institutions, literature, and important cultural figures. And he published a groundbreaking work on Oromo history, the Oromo of Ethiopia, a history 1570 to 1860. And he has taught history at various institutions spanning from Oromia to England and to the United States. And he's also a founder of the Oromo Studies Association. So we are extremely uh, delighted to have you, Professor Muhammad. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure for both of you uh, inviting me. Uh, these are the two young ladies I love to see, to discuss with. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure for me, really. Oh, wow. What an immense compliment. Thank you, Professor Mohammed. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that, Professor. 
So we've invited you, Professor, to help us remember and honor the life of the legend, singer and artist, Ali Birra. He passed late last year on November 6, 2022. And Professor Muhammad has conducted research, he's conducted interviews on the life and experiences of Ali Birra. And most recently, he wrote a heartfelt tribute to Ali Birra that uh, I hope our listeners can read. You can find it on the website of the Oromo Studies Association, oromostudies.org. I really encourage our listeners uh, to read it. It is very insightful. There's a lot of uh, facts about Ali Birra's life that you may discover by reading it. So over his 60-year career, Ali Birra's music and songwriting played a keystone role in the development and growth of modern Oromo music, Oromuma, and the political awakening of the Oromo nation. His music is deeply cultural, political, and historical. And I'm borrowing some information from the, your tribute, Professor Muhammad. Um, so the song Karan Mana Abagada is a well-known song. It describes the indigenous democratic Oromo governance system known as Gada, and it calls for its restoration. And then there's also the song Mal to Adanubase, which calls for the Oromo people to come together and work together for a common cause. There are various other well-known songs by Ali Birra, of course, the well-known Oromo anthem, Oromia, which spoke to the disconnectedness that Oromos feel in exile um, and sort of the feeling of, of wanting to be connected to the homeland. And honestly, it never fails to bring people to tears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. His music spoke to the hearts and minds of the Oromo people worldwide, and he'll forever be remembered as the father of the Oromo musical renaissance. So we really, really are honored to have you, Professor Muhammad. Um, the first question I have for you is, so Ali Muhammad Musa, that's, that's Ali Birra's real name. So he's known as Ali Birra. He was born in the city of Diradawa in 1948. Can you tell us about Ali Birra's upbringing, his family, how he started singing, and how he got the name Ali Birra? Oh yes, I'll I'll be uh, really glad to tell you that, and probably more. Um, Ali was a friend of mine for many many years. He was really a brother. Um, uh, most people do not know Ali is incredibly friendly human being. You could meet Ali today and the next day you will be his friend. He had this capacity really um, for opening his heart to others. If you travel with Ali Birra in Dredawa or in Finfinne, on the road there will be hundreds of uh, individuals who will wave their hands, uh, and uh, I have not seen anyone who had so many friends, and it was the result of really his character. Ali was a man who could not live without people. 
uh, except only for probably two short years. I will mention that later on. To answer your uh, question, Ali definitely was born at uh, a very exciting time in the city of Dredawa. I say exciting because for the first time, you know, the city of Dredawa, if you visit even today, the people who surround the cities are Oromo speaking. The city is really at the heart of the Oromo population in the area. And generally, because the Oromos are either farmers or pastoralists, they don't usually settle in urban areas. And it was in Dredawa when the Oromo from the surrounding areas, those who were seeking to better their lives, really went to that city. Basically, it was probably after the end of the Second World War and then by 1940s, a number of people moved to the city to find better condition. Uh, Ali's father and mother, the name of uh, his mother was Fatuma Ali. Uh, she came from Jarso area in the eastern part of Oromia. And uh, his father, um, Muhammad Musa, came from Garamulata area in the southwest parts of the region. And they met in the city of Dredawa, most probably in uh, 1946 or 47. And uh, the next year, Ali was born in that city. They loved each other, father and mother. However, the marriage really did not survive. Uh, three years later, by 1951 or 1952, they separated. And his mother went back to Gursum. Uh, where she remarried and had three more children. His father never remarried, actually, and he was devoted his life to his son. Definitely, he was a loving father, but uh, strict. In other words, Ali really grew up without the nurturing um, love of his mother. Uh, because he, he didn't know her. It was only much later on he met with her. And uh, in fact, one day <laughs> he jokingly asked his father, where is my ayo? Where is my mother? And the father jokingly said, oh, you were born from my knee. <laughs> uh, he, he was joking. Essentially, he was joking. Ali still remembers that, and his father um, received basic Islamic education before he came to the city. And the Redawa then was really a cosmopolitan city where uh, Arabic was the language of business. Uh, wealthy individuals were really the Arabs, the Hararis, probably a few Somalis. Um, 
uh, and he perfected his Arabic. And Ali, he grew up freely uh, with the, his father and then his aunt uh, really cared for him. And no one really controlled. And Ali simply started uh, moving in the city uh, on his own. And that probably shaped his free spirit in his mind, no doubt about that aspect. And his father arranged for his Muslim uh, school, uh, the madrasa, which still exists today in the city of Dredawa. And um, Ali learned Arabic very, very quickly. Definitely he was ahead of other students. And he was also admitted to the government school uh, where um, he studied up to grade six. And then his father, who saw his interest in music, really wanted to, <laughs> to once again uh, take him to uh, Islamic school where he was admitted and he finished <laughs> the course that was supposed to be finished probably in two three years in a year and he was given the opportunity to be a teacher in that school ali as a young man with free spirit he hated any boring job <laughs> and uh, after a while i think teaching became boring for him and uh, he started developing without really uh, knowing uh, about his future. He had incredible yearning for music in him. There was no music to listen to in those days. If I may tell you, I will probably forget this point later on. In Ethiopia, there was only one uh, radio program from Funfinne. There was no television to speak of. I think television started either uh, in 1969 or 1970. I'm not sure. Uh, a single radio. And I remember when I joined Halisilasia University, the Amharic language, of course, it has uh, in the morning, during the day, in the evening. There was a Somali program, Afari program, Tigri program. These were all political things. Uh, basically, the, the programs, the Somali, the Afar, Arabic, French, <laughs> all these were covered on radio for news. There was never any, any hint of having a fan Oromo radio program. In those days, I still remember vividly people were saying those who um, never wanted the Oromo language to be spoken on, especially on Ethiopian radio. They say, oh, a fan Oromo radio nechapsa. Oromo language breaks the radio. Essentially, wow. it was an insult, nothing else. It was to discourage the population. The point I wanted to leave with you is this. You rarely hear 
new Oromo music on uh, Ethiopia radio. Most often it is on Friday and it is two or three minutes before the program closes down. Mm. Uh, news and then music, uh, Amharic music. You sometimes hear even Somali music, not often, Tigrinya music, Gurage, and so on, but nothing about Oromo. And then once a week or uh, once in two weeks, the last two minutes, sometimes three minutes before the program ends, there is an Oromo music. It starts and then unfortunately the program ends. That was the, uh, the condition of the Oromo language in those days, essentially. In fact, I first heard Oromo radio program just from where? From Nairobi. Mm. The Moran Oromo, who probably then numbered less than half a million, they had their own radio program in the morning and in the evening. And we were <laughs> secretly listening to it, you know. And then I think in 1964-65, uh, radio program started from Mogadishu. And that really created uh, excitement among the Oromo, especially in the East, in Bale area, in Sidamo area. Uh, I am not sure if the Oromo people in other areas had really access to it. Plus also there was no awareness. Um, anyway, Ali uh, quickly, Ali developed interest in music. And his father was absolutely unhappy with that. It was a fatherly concern. In those days, remember, we are talking about 1962. In those days, even in urban areas, uh, almost everywhere, <laughs> uh, people did not really appreciate music. I remember when I was in the university, uh, there was one Amar, famous Amhara singer, very popular. His father was probably a clergy. I don't remember that, uh, but he he was so unhappy. He said, "I don't want my son to be uh, this lalibala. Uh, lalibala is, you know, singers who beg in the morning. Actually, it it was a term of belittlement." That famous Amara singer left officially singing. He did not want to embarrass his parents. And Ali's father definitely did not want his son to be a singer. Ali was a rebellious young man, and he followed his own interest. And at that time, there were a number of musical groups in the city of Dredawa one of which was Hiriya Jalala, and Ali joined that one ultimately in 1963. Ali was invited to a Francalo musical band. It was at the end of Ramadan for Eid, a major celebration. You know, you may not imagine this, uh, in 
any holiday at the Amaras, the Guragas, the Tigrayans, the Somalis, the Hararis, they all sing their songs, enjoy the day on wedding, on other events like holidays. There was nothing about it uh, in, in terms of the Oromo. There was nothing. In fact, I remember when I was in grade six in Harar, in the city of Harar, out of 3,000 students, there were only about uh, three zero Oromo students. Wow. Yeah, there were very, very few. How did I know about that? You must have heard about Jarrah Abagada. Mm. His original name was Abdul Karim Haji Ibrahim. And uh, he was a 12th grade student at the time. And he was really angered with the, whenever there is a holiday, the Oromos do not really enjoy their culture, their music. He brought all Oromos <laughs> in the city together, all together, probably about 25, 26. He established the first Oromo Student uh, Union in the country with this name, Oromo Student Union. The purpose was uh, to organize celebration for the people, especially in terms of singing, dancing, uh, you know, uh, different cultural groups. And <laughs> we got the opportunity to demonstrate the talent, our talent at a cinema hall. There is a cinema hall. I don't know how Yara um, managed really to get that hall. Anyway, we celebrated Eid and uh, demonstrated different cultural activities. Uh, uh, why do I tell you all this? There was nothing before Ali started, absolutely nothing. He started exactly in 1963 when uh, he sang uh, his uh, famous song. The name of the song is Barad Abarhe. <laughs> Abu Bakar, Muhammad Adam, Ali, Abdi, Jami, Warra, Jab Kabne, Nukhay Sajirin, Nefu Hasawaturan, Sanuman Jal Kabna, Gana Toma, Hiddu Hiddu Hiddu.
composed by Abu Bakr Musa, probably the most gifted Oromo poet, uh, outstanding writer, um, incredibly gifted. I still cannot control my emotion when I remember his, uh, uh, his assassination in 1976. Absolutely, incredibly gifted. Most of the early songs were really composed by him, extremely gifted. And sometimes uh, the enemy simply snatches, takes away, cuts short the life of someone who would have really made huge contribution. He was writing about love, about society, about this, that. Even that at that time was not really uh, tolerated. Mm. And Ali also, even while young, he really demonstrated incredible gift. This was the innate gift, talent for learning languages. You know, in the city of Dredawa, in those days, probably not now, in those days, uh, several languages were spoken, Amharic, of course, Amharic, Somali, Oromo, Harari, um, Arabic, and Oromo was his own mother tongue. He quickly mastered Arabic. He learned Harari and he sang Harari songs for many, many years. And um, the first song definitely put Ali on, how would I say, a new path in his life, a new. Um, really road, basically. And the band, the Afrankalo band, for the first time became famous in the city of Dredawa. They also visited the town of Haramaya, just about 30 kilometers away from Dredawa. And news started spreading. And uh, in those days, Amara officials in Dredawa, almost everywhere, were really, um, how would I put it, very sensitive more than anything else. They were very sensitive about Somali issues and then about Oromo issues. The Somali definitely were uh, potentials. A new country was formed and the Somalis really started building up rather quickly Somali nationalism and that definitely worried uh, imperial uh, authorities. They were very nervous about that aspect. They tended to control the Somalis by appointing chiefs and so on. And then the radio program as I mentioned earlier. Mm. And um, the fame of the Afrankalo band alarmed authorities, Amara authorities. I deliberately say Amara because in those days, 90 something percent of the officials were individuals of Amara background. 
basically. Mm. And um, they got uh, alarmed and they confiscated the instruments with which they played. Basically, they confiscated and destroyed them. Oh, wow. The goal was to demoralize these young singers, basically cut their ambition short and so on. Their songs in the city of Dredawa, sometimes success spreads. And authorities in Djibouti, Djibouti then was a colony, a French colony, and uh, prominent officials, wealthy individuals, for the Eid celebration of 1964, they invited Alibra and four or five other Oromo singers from the city of Dredoa. Government authorities refused to issue them travel documents. Anyway, they traveled over there. Mm. In those days, it was really not that difficult to travel to Djibouti. There is only a small area you walk and then you take the train and then you find yourself in Djibouti. They went there, sang, their songs were really well received there. They were so happy. The first Oromo song outside Ethiopia, the first. And when authorities heard this, they were truly outraged because in Ethiopia, Oromo songs were literally banned. There were few traditional you know, individuals who sang with uh, Masinko, and uh, those were tolerated. Essentially on radio, what you hear is that one actually, even for two, three minutes and so on. And when they returned from Djibouti, they were all arrested. Uh, what makes it particularly interesting about Ali, his friends were imprisoned in the city of Dredawa. Ali was taken to Harar. There is a notorious prison in Harar known as Karshalle. Ali was imprisoned there for about six months. Why do I tell you? Only for one simple reason. He was charged, of course. Actually, his charge was, like others was, uh, they left the country illegally and they sang illegally in foreign land. And this was actually the crime for which they were charged. And Ali had probably a life-altering experience while in prison because in prison, Ali had a cellmate by the name of Hassan. Ali does not remember the, the last name of the fellow. And this uh, Hassan was accused of killing someone. Mm. He never killed this fellow, never, absolutely. They tortured him bitterly and they forced uh, Hassan to admit and he was hanged in broad daylight in the prison compound. And Ali, honest to God, Ali was horrified. He had nightmare about it actually for years to come. And later on, he composed his most famous 
political song Marjani 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 Yeroyadan Dibamani Jiru Afan Walalani Can Lafatabe Horisa Mame Can Roro Jipe Garatigame Malherega Maldubatame Kanjirun Dabe Jalale Fira Kopasa Hafe Ijahira Mal Abdata Mejiru Adunyatra Kanfachafate Kadamudate Kaira Hongawe Wani Abdate Mal ode terra wan isamudate wan isamudate Durkarayon bone kan arrajame kan if nijiru guyan itidame mal ananata kufun hotawame Can Roron Alaga Mukatigalchite Can Billy Suman Digakadimte Mali Abdusa Hoduti is a gate Hoduti is a gate Mal Jetani Mal Himani Yero Yadan Ibamani, Jiru Afan Walalan. Can't you 
still really is absolutely deeply moving mm. uh, which means really his prison experience definitely shaped him he realized that his people did not have any right to speak of mm. they were the most despised people in ethiopia at the time are they still are um, his experience was a shock but it definitely uh, developed a character in him he uh, definitely decided to fight against this system through his songs through his music and uh, um, he was released after uh, six months and then his father who was really caring for him he was so worried and uh, he had a friend, a member of parliament, actually, from our town, from Badano. And he brought Ali to uh, Finfinne. And there, Ali was exceptionally a very lucky human being at every turn. I, I, I could talk about it the whole day. He was exceptionally lucky. And once he arrived in Finfinne, uh, Ali uh, met this colonel, a famous Somali colonel, Colonel Tahir at a social event among friends. Colonel Tahir by accident attended it. Ali was entertaining at a private house. These individuals, while they were doing their barcha and so on, and the colonel was really fascinated with him he invited him to apply for Haile Selassie bodyguard, a musical a group. Mm -hmm. Haile Selassie had a division uh, that was known as bodyguard. Basically, they were devoted to him, to his protection and so on. Ali there joined the ranks of most famous singers like Tlahunga Sesa, Abu Zinesh Bakale, they were very famous in those days. And uh, Muhammad Ahmad, who is still alive, an elderly man, actually he spoke on the memorial of Ali uh, in Finfinne. And it was really a very moving speech in, uh, in that regard. Mm -hmm. And Ali served at the bodyguard orchestra for just uh, yes, three years and years ago while Ali was staying with us here at our house in Georgia 
uh, we talked over his life and so on. And then accidentally I asked him, why on earth did you leave the job you had with the Imperial Bodyguard Orchestra, uh, which actually made his name famous? He was the first Oromo singer in that group. Um, you know, you hear his music on, especially in the 1970s, on the radio and so on. The first Oromo singer, really, whose voices were heard from time to time, especially after 1974, when Afan Oromo became a legal language, an official language, and the military also established Afan Oromo radio program, and they were bringing his songs and so on from time to time. Mm. To return to my question, Ali, why on earth did you leave your job at the bodyguard orchestra? He said, I was bored. <laughs> I hated the formalities. There, whenever officials come, you have to bow down. If the emperor comes, you have to kiss the ground. Oh, God. You have to bow all the way. Ali was never used to this. He was really not used to discipline. And uh, as a free spirit, he usually moves at his own pace, did not accept anything. Mm. And he left that job. Guess where he went? To a railway station in Awash.
small town in those days there were probably four five not more than ten houses there wow and he was there for almost two years uh, serving as a plumber uh, working there ultimately again he got bored and ultimately in 1972 he returned to and he started singing on social occasion for his friends and so on and, mm. and then he was hired by harambe hotel uh paris harambe hotel and then a number of other hotels nightclubs he really started singing he was the first man i'm not really adding even a point to it he was the first one who really popularized Oromo music at nightclubs, at hotels. I went to his shows from the university when I was a university student, just to hear his voice and enjoy the music. Remember, there will be two or three individuals who will be performing. Ali was just one, and we, we will sit throughout others and when ali comes everybody rises and with incredible excitement and that was really the best joy one could really get without having any political awareness listening to a beautiful song in your mother tongue it really touches you even without understanding it it really touches you yeah yeah, it's it's really incredible to hear, you know, such a rich uh, backstory to his life and the broader and complex context that he uh, was born in and that he grew up in um, and that he launched his career in. And uh, I think 
many people don't know that Ali Birra was once a political prisoner. Um, and it's uh, very interesting to hear how that transformed um, his approach to, to his music and, and his artistry um, and how it really became a stepping stone for him to launch into creating and performing music in Afan Oromo um, to the delight of uh, young Oromo people like yourself at the time. Um, so, um, yeah, it's really a very incredible story. And uh, you mentioned that you were listening to his songs in your youth at nightclubs and uh, and at performances, at private performances and such. Um, so you really had firsthand experience of some of his early music um, and some of his uh, early career steps. Um, so... Having been there at the very beginning uh, and having heard his music since, since the beginning of his career and, you know, considering that he sang over 300 songs um, and was an extremely talented poet and songwriter, could you tell us about uh, any specific songs that deeply connect to you? Which songs mean the most to you and, and why is that the case? Oh, uh, that is really beautiful question. Thank you. Um, his uh, his song that is deeply connected with me. Uh, number one is really Maljadani. I did not hear it before it was published in his first CD in 1972. Not only me, the first time we heard it, especially over the radio, honestly, you, you may not believe it brought tears, uncontrollable tears to our uh, eyes. And I remember, uh, honestly, words fail me to express what I felt when I first heard his Maljad because it describes the condition of our people, the condition I came from, mm -hmm. the condition our people were in, even at that very moment, where you are never regarded as a human being who deserves at least little respect, where uh, you could be driven from your land. Uh, let, let me tell you, my late father, he had land and one um, Amsalaga who served in Ogaden probably for a year or two. In those days, if you are a military or a police officer, if you serve in Ogaden, the difficult area, the living condition is not good. The people are rebellious, especially in the 1960s. Anybody could demand the land for the service he uh, provided. And this Hamsalaka, this uh, small uh, police officer, picked my father's land, one of the lands he owned at the time. Hmm. And he took my father to the court. My father uh, bribed the judge i still remember this and then he won the case and then the policeman appealed to the town to the Auraja in uh, Groa, 
And my father has to follow that. To cut a long story short, it took six years, my father, to continue doing this, paying a lot of resources in it. And in Grawa also he lost and he had to pay bribe. And, and then the case was taken to Harar, all the way to Harar. Just imagine, I was um, third year university and I said to my father, you have already uh, wasted so much money, so much resources on this piece of land. Even if you get it back in those days, the value of the land was really a very limited, extremely limited. And uh, I think my father got tired and therefore accepted. For the first time, he accepted my suggestion, actually. He, he said, yes, I am exhausted. One thing I wanted to share with you, I have been to the court with my father in Badenno, in Groa, and in Harar. Why do I tell you? In the court, the issue is presented first in Amharic, and then it was translated for him. The judge understands this, the lawyer understands this. My father did not understand probably more than three or four words of Amharic because he lived in the rural areas. That was the condition of our people. Anyway, my father gave up the land. He said, I got peace now. The case left incredible uh, impression on my mind, really. There were countless other fathers like mine who really had to defend what they owned. Anyone could claim your land. Mm. Anyway, Ali became very productive in terms of producing music after he returned to Finfinne, singing and so on. And he started earning money, a fairly significant amount of money. But Ali was the most generous human being I have seen. If he has money, he just can't sleep without burning it. Uh, he will uh, uh, invite his friends. If he received the salaries, it will last him only for a few days because he was really incredibly generous. One day, which I remember, when you are a university student during our days, you are really poor. It was only when I was in third year, fourth year, I got the opportunity of working during the summer for training Peace Corps volunteers. One day, three of us met Ali in the city and we were talking, talking, and then he said, we are hungry, we eat. I did not have a single cent with me. My friends also did not have really anything. Ali had $10 in his pocket. We had lunch together in those days. Things were cheap. Mm. Food was really cheap. We had a lunch together, all three of us. Ali did not have any money for dinner. 
He did not have anything for his breakfast. Just imagine. I mentioned this just to show you his incredible um, generosity. Mm. If he gets money and he comes to people, he simply feeds them, shares with them. You know, uh, someone, a famous singer like him, would have become uh, fairly wealthy, absolutely wealthy. And uh, that was not his interest, actually. His interest was uh, music. Uh, by 1982, there was a Swedish diplomat who served actually in Finfinne for several years. She visited the hotel, the nightclub where Ali was performing. Mm. And she loved him, and uh, what started uh, as a small scale friendship quickly developed, and they got married in 1982. He was the first Oromo national to obtain a Swedish diplomat passport. Once he married to Brigitta, to his Swedish wife, he was issued a diplomatic passport. And that was really the ticket which allowed him to come out of the country. Because in 1984, his wife was transferred of all places to Los Angeles in California. Ali followed her there, which gave him the opportunity actually to study music at the university level. Uh, and Professor, that's going to lead to our next question, actually. You're, you're, you're coming into the next question. If I could ask you, so he moves to L.A. in 1984 with his wife. And we know that he, he spends many years in exile, nearly 20 years. Can you tell us about the role that Ali Birrab and his music played in the Oromo diaspora for the couple of decades that he spent in exile? Thank you very much for this excellent question. Ali definitely played a huge role among the Oromo diaspora. His arrival in uh, Los Angeles really gave him a wonderful opportunity to travel during the weekends for wedding, for other events. He would travel, say, to Atlanta or to Minneapolis or to other cities or to Toronto. It really opened up a new um, opportunity, essentially, to travel everywhere. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Ali was so generous. In 1986, when uh, Aziza and I were married, they heard about it. Ali did not tell us. He and his wife called us from the airport. He said, we are coming. What? We are coming. Wow. And they came at their expenses. And he, <laughs> uh, he blessed us with uh, his songs at our wedding. It was a small wedding in an apartment hall where we were living. About 10 Oromo nationals came from Washington, uh, D.C. areas, and then uh, the local. And we had a wonderful um, uh, wedding because of Ali. Incredibly surprised us. 
Mm. We did not pay a single cent. We did not even dare to ask him. And they just came and showed themselves at our apartment. And we had a wonderful time. I, I just can't forget about it, really, incredibly. And every time he visits Atlanta, he had a best friend here in Atlanta, Muhammad Ibsa, his childhood friend. Uh, they were very, very close. And he would visit him from time to time. Every time he visited Atlanta, he will stay at our house for a night or two, sometimes even more. And uh, it was really that which opened up a wonderful opportunity to know him, mm. what type of uh, a man Ali is really incredibly gifted, very, very friendly, um, full of life. He just enjoyed life. He lived for today. Tomorrow, uh, inshallah, you know, things will be all right tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, the, in the diaspora, Ali started visiting Toronto uh, because our community in Minnesota was uh, fairly significant, even in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, during the summer wedding, graduation uh, from high school and so on, uh, any event, any cultural show, Ali will be there. And he was really the star, a shining figure, no doubt about that. And uh, after five years, when his wife was transferred, she was in Canada for about, I think, three months, then in Washington, D.C., three months. Ali was traveling, and wherever he went, he meets with the Oromo community, mm. uh, and they all invite him to their houses. Honestly, I have never seen anyone who was so loved, not only because of his music, because of his uh, character. He is so open, very friendly, mm. very friendly. Mm. And I said, uh, if you travel with Ali. Everyone says Ali, Ali endlessly. Ali shakes them and he remembers names. I have never seen anyone who really remembers names like Ali Birra. In 2009, when we went for OSA conference, uh, we got an opportunity to meet uh, at least three times and when we spent the day with him, there were probably about 15 individuals, if not more. The individual may come from Canada, maybe from the US, maybe from Dredawa or from Garamulata. He always called them by their name. I couldn't imagine. It's amazing. Wow. Some people have this incredible gift for remembering names. Mm. He was blessed with that aspect. Um, in the diaspora, there is absolutely no doubt. In fact, it was during the years he was in the diaspora, his wife was transferred to uh, Sweden for a while, and then they went to Saudi Arabia. She was assigned to Saudi Arabia, diplomatists always. Mm. 
move around. They don't stay in one place for a long time. And in Saudi Arabia, Ali, um, he enjoyed it at the beginning, uh, this diplomatic life. But after a while, this life turned out to be boring for him. He wanted to work, but he was a black man carrying a diplomatic passport. And uh, the employer asked him to change his passport. And Ali simply refused and he returned to Sweden. That gave him the opportunity to learn the Swedish language. Mm. As I said earlier, he spoke a number of languages anywhere where he goes. He quickly learns. To answer your question, Ali truly, truly entertained the diaspora, especially after he settled in Toronto. There were a number of other Oromo singers like Kamar Yusuf, uh, Nuho Gobana, the late Nuho Gobana, and a number of others. Ali, of course, was their senior, and they all respected him. And uh, when he sings, everything is repeated. Mm-hmm. And he sang most of his famous songs, like Oromia, uh, Oromia Yakov, uh, mm-hmm. like Alaba Oromia. In the diaspora, these are all political songs. Mm-hmm. It gave him the latitude, the freedom, actually, to uh, express himself. Oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, we are back on the 
inspiring figure among the diaspora. And once he settled in Toronto, he got the opportunity to travel all the way to Australia. It opened up his appeal to the Oromo community wherever they are. In fact, the first uh, book that was written on Oromo diaspora was written on the Oromo in Melbourne area. And in that book, the legend is Ali Birra because he was entertaining there and then the author got the opportunity to interview him extensively. The author actually, while a PhD student, he came here doing research, stayed with us. And uh, it's not bragging, but I, I helped in a small way, actually, and I am so happy about it. Mm. And Ali definitely became a legend in uh, in his own lifetime. Mm. That's mm. certainly true. Yeah, extremely true, actually. And um, you were describing how um, his presence in the diaspora created this connectedness uh, amongst Oromo communities. And um, I was very young, but um, I had an opportunity to experience that firsthand um, as a little girl in Sweden where he also spent some time uh, and where he actually recorded one of his albums. Uh, Professor Mohammed, I'm sure you'll know the name of it. I'm talking about the yellow cassette tape. Yes, yes. Janlelo, yeah. you know this as yeah. well. <laughs> I do. What's, what's that <laughs> album called? Please tell me <laughs> the name of that album. It. I can't remember the name, but all of our childhoods and political consciousness, our awakening as Oromo individuals are intertwined with that music with that cast and a lot of his classics as well yeah yeah absolutely so um so it was incredible to see how he brought Oromo people together from across the diaspora and as you were describing Professor Mohammed how he was just able to connect so authentically so sincerely so genuinely with every Oromo individual that he encountered and I know that my parents have extremely fond memories of him from that time that he spent in Sweden. Um, and you were mentioning also, you know, a number of the um, political songs that he released while he was in the diaspora. Um, and as Jalelo was also just mentioning, he played such a huge role in our political awakening as young Oromo people who grew up in the diaspora. Um, so what role do you think Alibiras music has played in the development of Oromo nationalism and the Oromo liberation struggle as a whole? I, I think he really played a very huge role. You know, when he sings, people repeat what he sings in chorus. I remember many, many, many times 
where people really forget the daily problems they have, especially when he sang Oromia. The whole audience really repeated after him. And for a moment, honestly, we forgot everything else. It connected us to the land from which we came. It connected us with the problems of our people. Essentially, always he reminds us not to forget where we come from, the condition of our people. We are so fortunate to escape from the long armies of the Ethiopian state, living in peace without any fear. His songs always inspire us to resist. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind, Ali Birra definitely cultivated Oromo nationalism, especially pride in the Oromo language. Remember his song, Afan Oromo, mm. which is still crucial back home. awareness is a combination of so many streams. Several Oromo uh, singers, especially Nuho Gobana, really in terms of cultivating nationalism, definitely encouraged it, for which he is remembered still. He is no longer with us, but his spirit is with us. And uh, Ali definitely really played a huge role in terms of connecting the diaspora with the homeland, mm. uh, in, in terms of encouraging us to remember the daily pain, sufferings of our people, never to forget their problems. I think uh, when the story of the 
history of Oromo struggle in the second half of the 20th century uh, will be written. Definitely Ali Birra will have really his own unique place in that history uh, in terms of encouraging people to feel pride in what they possess, their uh, culture, uh, the richness of their language. With his unique voice, he had a way of communicating that aspect, yeah. Mm. It's it's truly such an incredible achievement, um, what he has been able to do in his life and in his career, because he was a trailblazer, not only back home, where, you know, he set the tone for the cultural and social awakening um, of young Oromo people in that age. And as you mentioned, Professor Mohammed, he was so many firsts, the first Oromo person to sing in Afan Oromo on Ethiopian radio, the first Oromo person to participate in the Imperial Orchestra, the first Oromo person to perform in Afan Oromo in uh, private venues in Finfinne. It's so incredible that he was able to achieve so many firsts um, and that those firsts truly didn't end until his career ended. Um, so... We owe so much to Ali Birra. Uh, we owe so much of our current cultural position um, as Oromo people to his work, to his efforts, and to his tireless dedication and passion for his music and his art and his people. Um, so we are so unbelievably fortunate to have had a man like him live as a member of our nation and do for us everything that he has done. And and we need to keep him in our hearts and in our minds for as many generations as we continue to live on this earth as Oromo people um, to be able to give enough tribute to him and his life's work. Um, by the way, I just wanted to say the name of that album. It doesn't seem like it has a specific name. I literally like Googled it while we were talking. Um, and on the cassette tape, it says Ali Birra and Maji Harun 1992. That makes sense. There was no, there was no name no. Um, to the album. Yeah. I have several of his CDs, a collection, actually, fairly a large collection of his music. This is Bareda Uma, a beautiful song.
He always, in peaceful way, struggled for his rights. Falmi Mirga Khetif, Bilisumma Khetif. Mirga Nama Hintukin, Khetis Hintuisisin. Balama Khe Khabaji, Yero Isati Nwaji. Dandi Gudinati, Kara Karomati. Watiko dubatu head to the gefatu. Badite fudatu chebute bufatu. Ugarra in fagatin. Kijiba in dubatin. Namayu in fagatin. Iftau in kamfatin. violate your rights, he respects you as a human being. If you violate his right, Ali always protested against it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, in 2004, 
when uh, he was invited to return to his homeland by President Junaidi at that time. Those who arranged that actually invited me also to visit the country. I politely told them I will not be able to return. Mm. Uh, when Ali decided to go, he called me up one night and they said, Muhammad I said, Ali, that is your decision. In fact, a singer belongs to his people. In the diaspora, definitely he reaches the diaspora. His music did not reach our people back home. And if he returns among his people, he will definitely continue actually encouraging, expanding, inspiring. Uh, I just said, Ali, please be careful. Um, the government wants you to attack the Romo Liberation Front. Uh, then it was an enemy. Today it is an enemy. And Ali never publicly said a word against the OLF. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely for which I honestly respect him very, very much. I know several other uh, singers who returned and uh, very quickly disgraced themselves. I'll not mention names, but Ali definitely was a self-respecting man. There was one extremely important experience Ali had actually when he first returned for the first time in Finfinne in Dredawa. I remember someone who came from Badano. Badano is 150 kilometers, over 150 kilometers away from Dredawa. When they heard Ali is coming to Dredawa, someone I knew traveled all the way from Badano to listen to Ali's music. Just imagine. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, it used to take two days to travel from there to Badeno because the road was so rough. It takes you two days to travel. Wow. I'm sure it was worth it. Yeah. Uh, Professor Muhammad, I think uh, you have given us one of the most in-depth counts uh, records I've heard on Ali Bidra's life and his mm -hmm. immense contributions to our music, our culture, development of Oromoma, mm. um, a sense of connection to our ancestors as well. And also because of your friendship with him and your connection to him, you've also shared with us a rare account of his character and his values and who he was as a person mm. beyond his artistry, who he was as a human being. And I think that that as a rare account, we really, we were so grateful um, that you shared that with us and to all of our listeners in such a detailed manner. We want to say thank you immensely. And we're both incredibly eager, I'm sure I'm speaking for Jalongo too, to <laughs> read any of your future writings on his life. Um, yes. Because I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, you've given us a snapshot. I'm sure there is a lot 
more um, to learn about his life mm. and uh, who he was and how complicated certain life events were for him. Mm. And it's hard to share in just an hour here, a little bit over an hour. So we appreciate you doing that in the way that you can, but we know that your ongoing writings will be able to be more a comprehensive cover and we really look forward to reading that. So, and we thank you for taking the time to interview with us. Let me add two short points. Absolutely. It was both connected with his uh, first travel back to his country in 2004. He was performing everywhere he went to the city of Jimma, where really unbelievable, huge amount of population were there enjoying the music, many crying because he brings to the surface what is deep down in the hearts of people. And Madles, the then prime minister, he heard about this man who really brings unbelievable number of people to any stage, he was very worried. And he called the president of Oromia Junaidi, President Junaidi Sado. I heard this from the president himself. When he fled from the country, uh, he came here in Georgia. We came to know each other. And he said, Malas said, what type of person did you bring to us? This single man can move the population unless he is handled very carefully. This is one example. The second one is Ali Junaidi arranged for him to meet with the Prime Minister Malas. Just listen to this how really Ali was a very considerate human being. Before he went to meet with the prime minister, he talked to many people, even visited prison. Prisons were filled with the Oromos, Oromo-speaking population. And there were so many people who were wrongly sentenced to death. Ali got a list of 1,500 men and women, some of whom were on this bed. Mm. And you know, Oromia, this lady, uh, she used to live in Texas. She was a fierce fighter in the oil left. Um, she was arrested, tortured, ultimately sentenced to death. Her name was on the list that Ali took to Malas. Malas asked Ali about everything else. And then he said, do you have anything to ask me? Ali said, yes. These are the list of prisoners. Ethiopian leaders always say, we don't know about this. We never heard about it. This is the first time I hear. He prepared the list of 1,500 men and women, some of whom were on this row, and presented it to Malas. Several of them not immediately were released. Uh, definitely uh, Asli, this Romo girl, a very famous one, 
he was saved because of Ali Birra. Absolutely saved. Mm. He is this much considerate. You know, some people go to visit with Manlas. What he expected Ali to ask him was about land, about house, about this. Ali never asked that, which really makes him a unique human being. Everyone who goes there, they will ask for peace of land. He wanted to save the prisoners. And it simply shows you to a, a type of a person he was really, a kind, a generous human being. Mm. I've not seen anyone who has so many Amara friends, so many Tigrayan friends, Eritrean friends, Arab friends, Sudanese friends. Remember, he sang in seven different languages. I'm not exaggerating. I doubt if there is any singer in the world who sings in seven different languages. You know, music is the language of the heart. When one sings, you touch the other human being. And he was such a gift for our people, honestly. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to add these few points. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for adding those two points because I think they very perfectly encompass everything that he was and everything that he stood for. Um, so, you know, thank you very much for finishing on, on those two particular stories um, because I think it describes to our listeners exactly everything they need to know about Ali Bidra, who he was, what he prioritized and what he dedicated himself to in his life and in his career, his selflessness, his love for his people, his love for his art. Um, and I think the ultimate mark for any Oromo really uh, who uh, who is working for their people is that um, the Ethiopian state feels threatened by them. If the Ethiopian state feels threatened by you, um, then I think that is uh, the ultimate honor, right? <laughs> and the ultimate sort of uh, signifier of that individual's work for their people. So, uh, you know, the fact that he could draw crowds that were large enough to make the prime minister of a country feel afraid of his influence and his power is obviously something that speaks entirely for itself in regards to his importance to, to the Oromo people. So uh, thank you very much, Professor Mohammed, for uh, teaching us everything you've taught us today about Ali Bidra. Yes, thank you again, Professor Mohammed. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time. We're very grateful to you. And the last note I guess I'll leave us on is, at the very least, we know that his influence was so powerful that that will live on forever. We grieve his loss. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, he has made such an immense contribution to Oromo peoplehood and our identity. And so what's amazing is that will live on forever. Um, yes. So thank you again. I thank both of you very much for giving me really this wonderful opportunity to say a few words about my dear friend, Adi Bidra. Thank, thank you, you, Professor. Thank you. Thank you. Our gratitude is due to you. And uh, we hope to have you back with us very soon. Uh, you know, you have such a vast area of expertise uh, and knowledge about the Oromo people. So we have many, many more things that we wish to discuss with you in the future. Um, so uh, until next time, Professor Mohammed. <laughs>
Yes, certainly. Until next time, we'll definitely love to have you on again, Professor Galatoma. Galatoma, Galatoma. Now